Welcome to the Earth Keepers Podcast. This podcast is for people who seek new and better ways to love and care for the Earth. It's a podcast for anyone who is deeply concerned about the harm being done to the environment on a local and global level. It's a podcast that builds community and connection between people of like heart and mind, people who believe that Earth care should be integrated into every aspect of life, and for many in the Earth Keepers community, that includes our spiritual lives. In this episode, we launch season four of the podcast. The last three years have been an amazing time of growth for us, both in terms of expansion of the Earthkeepers community around the world, but also in terms of establishing the ethos and vision of the podcast as a whole. In this brief episode, I sit down with our executive producer, James Amidon. Together, we share a bit about lessons learned in season three and look ahead to new challenges in season four. Welcome, friends. To the Earthkeepers podcast. James, as always, it's great to be with you. Good to be with you too, Forrest. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you and happy fourth season of Earthkeepers. Yeah, here we go. Well, it's the new year. This is our time for looking back to see where we've been and looking ahead with aspirations and hopes for the new season. But I wonder if you could talk about Circlewood a bit. Talk about maybe some of the most exciting things that have happened in the last year and maybe even where we're going, what you're hoping for. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about the podcast, but it's nice to pause and recognize that Earthkeepers is part of Circlewood. And there's been a lot going on in the greater world of Circlewood. Last year saw me personally and my family and I, we moved to Camino Island to help our main project, Circlewood Village move forward a little bit faster. And that's been really exciting. It's been exciting to see our media work grow. The Earthkeepers podcast, as you know, continues to get new listeners and interesting guests. And I know I have benefited from it. Also, our work with The Ecological Disciple, our online journal, continues to get new subscribers and readers. And I love the writing that's coming out of that. And as you know, as you and I work on our educational programming for Circlewood, It's exciting to see new partners emerge from institutions like churches and camps and colleges, places that are looking for the perspective that we're bringing, and that's really exciting to see what's going to develop. In terms of the village, actually, out here on Camino Island, it's been awesome to round out our development team with some really, really talented people, and to see eight months of work come to fruition in the being awarded a grant from the Murdoch Foundation for $229,000 to help us with our first project. What's that project? That will be the completion of our first building, enabling on-site programming and give people a real sense of the innovative work that we're going to be doing out there, both architecturally in terms of what the buildings will look like, but especially bringing people out to a place that can really foster the kind of transformational perspectives that we need and send people out to bring that to their own communities. Really excited to launch that in the coming year. Well, now I'd love to hear about Earthkeepers in more particular, how you saw the last year and what lies ahead of us. Yeah, it's been an amazing year. I mean, I love the fact that we're growing, that we're increasing listenership. I really love the fact that people are joining us from all over the world. Yes. This isn't just a North American concern. I would say that is even been the most exciting part 
of that growth is learning from all the diverse perspectives that we've had on the podcast. Honestly, that's what keeps it alive for me is that I'm always being challenged to think about my values in relation to earth care or even think about the practical things that I do day to day you know, to try to be a better earth keeper. So I'll say that it's been personally fulfilling, but also just exciting to see that that community is growing. I think too, it's been interesting to understand that earth keeping, that creation care in general, just applies to so many things that I might not have thought about, right? I mean, you know, one of our slogans is the grinning of everything. Mm -hmm. And it's the everything that's being unpacked for me. I mean, for example, we've had two people on who have talked about investing well, you know, green investing, making sure that our money is not doing harm and in fact is actively doing good. That's not something I would have thought about before doing the podcast, but it's those kinds of things that are stretching me. And I think that's the appeal. That's why we're growing is that people are pretty hungry to understand all the ways that earth keeping can be expressed in our daily lives and in our value systems. Yeah, and I just want to say, Forrest, that your curiosity and your interest in bringing that to your own life is helpful in bringing it to us when we listen. So, you know, looking to the future, there's just so much I want to happen. I'm trying to, like, tone it down a little bit, rein it in. (laughs) Yeah. But there are a lot of things that I hope to do. I mean, to be really honest, there is part of me that aspires to maybe be putting out episodes more than every two weeks. Right. I mean, that is going to depend on support and on finances, but I can hope. Right. Of course. (laughs) So I'm going to be looking into ways that we might increase the budget enough to at least do more than every couple of weeks. And with that, I think also I'm excited about looking at doing different kinds of episodes. For example, I hope to have guest podcasters, guest hosts to see if I can diversify the voices that are in the podcast. That would be awesome, of course. And if people have ideas for that, they can always go on the Circlewood website right now and send us a recorded message or reach out to you at your email. Yeah. Well, we'll talk more about the future of the podcast, but I wanted to ask you a question just to get us going here. I'm wondering, when you think back over all the episodes that you've heard in this season, well, in the season three, rather, What is the episode that maybe led to some actual practical changes in your day-to-day life? Yeah, this is a great question. And as I was looking back through the episodes, there are two that stood out to me in terms of the impact on my life, both of which you've kind of mentioned already, and it's on ethical investing in the future. And this is something I can't point to action yet. But I feel like the episodes gave me a vision for how we might green our investing in the future in a way that I can't quite shake. Episode number 52 with Trevor Thomas of Ethinvest was really interesting to see a global perspective on this. And then episode 59 on green money with Zach Stein uh, helped bring it home more to my context here in the United States. And at this point, my family, we haven't been able to invest in that way yet, but it gave me a vision for how it's possible and what it can accomplish and the fact that it can accomplish a lot, especially if people come together, kind of pool resources in these kind of new financial services that are emerging. The, the possibilities feel really, really exciting. 
And I think there's just such a huge nuance in both of those episodes that was new to me. I mean, on the one hand, I guess I've always thought about, you know, ways to invest my money that do no harm. But both of these folks that you mentioned raise the standard a bit. It's not just do no harm. It's make sure your money is actually doing good. Yeah. That is actually supporting changes, pressuring companies to be different, to be more earth respecting. And I think that was, for me, just a really important shift in thinking about money. Yeah. And I think that whole world of financial investing has felt very complicated to me. When I hear people talk about it, there's a lot of lingo that I don't fully understand. And it almost feels like you have to just trust that the people who do that for a living are going to do it well for you. And I think listening to those two episodes made me think, no, this is something you can figure out, that there are people who are working to help people like me and you invest in ethical and wise ways that serve the planet, and that it's actually not that complicated. You don't need to be personally wealthy to start, and that it's a growing part of that industry. Forrest, that's the theme that struck me the most over the last season. I'm wondering what it was for you. Well, in terms of behavior, things I do differently, interestingly enough, it was the Anne Bicklet and Michael Montgomery episode. And all their talk about the health of the soil, how that's connected to the ecosystem foundationally, and how it actually has everything to do with our health, uh, and that it affects the food that is grown. I really took that to heart, and I'll just give you the example. I have eight raised beds that I grow vegetables in, and suddenly I just I have a different perspective on them. I look at them as these little microcosms of life, right? Each one of them is a system in terms of the soil. And right now, there's very few of them have plants, but I shouldn't ignore the soil until I need it again, right, which is in the spring that now is the time I can continue to care for and nurture the ecology of each of those boxes, ecology of my soil. So I'm doing things like, you know, adding compost now, even though I'm not growing anything. I'm trying planting what's called uh, cover crops, right? So you can plant these crops that grow over the winter, but then just improve the soil because they fix nitrogen into the soil and then just plow those under in the spring. So I'm excited to keep on on learning about the soil. It's easy to ignore the soil because, you know, you don't see it or think about it in terms of a foundation for the ecosystem, but I'm beginning to do that. Tied to that, I'll say, is all that we've learned about fungus, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, mycorrhizal fungal networks and yeah. what they do for connecting plants and connecting trees. And it's just been so fascinating. It's like you're learning about a magical world that I just haven't known about. But I think part of what I've been inspired to do is to think about growing mushrooms. So I've started, I failed in my very first attempt, <laughs> but I just checked my mushroom growing bin and it's growing mushrooms. Seven, seven of them so far, that one inch high. <laughs> but I'm really uh, doing this as an experiment, but I can imagine continuing to do that. You know, I just, uh, so it's exciting. I'm learning so much. That's great. And I can relate to all the soil stuff, having moved to a new home that has several raised garden beds and realizing there are a few places where the soil is not great. 
And I've just been piling on organic material for over the winter, even stopping by the local coffee shop that puts out their used grounds. And I've had several pickups of that just to give those little critters something to eat on and build that healthy soil and make it as diverse and interesting and able to retain water and nutrients and all that kind of stuff. And just knowing that there is a whole world just underneath the surface that we can help build and nurture. It's pretty exciting. Yeah. Well, let me ask another question. Okay. Uh, in terms of how your perspective has been challenged, what is an episode or two that really has changed the way you think about earthkeeping in general? Yeah, I'm glad you said or two because I actually have three. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I just love the mix of guests we have that some focus on the practical and give us things we can do and others are really addressing the underlying thinking behind how we live or what we believe. And there are three that stand out to me that keep living in my mind and helping challenge my perspective. The first is episode number 56 on Ukrainian identity with our guest Tanya from the Ukraine talking about the impact of war and the connection with the Ukrainian people to the land. And I think that's just helped me keep that conflict before me And I think in a small way, moving to a new place and with the upheaval that that has caused my life, which can't be compared to going through war, but it's been interesting to see that the energy that I usually would put towards earthkeeping and what's the next idea to help, you know, our home or our lives be a bit more sustainable, that kind of gets set aside because there are and maybe more pressing things as you just try to settle into a new place. So I just been thinking about how war just is destructive on so many levels, including just a halt on all this progress that could be made towards more healthy living. People in Ukraine who want to do that just can't. And, you know, just helps, I think, keep that conflict too before me when I pray. And think about people whose struggles are far beyond mine. That's one I think that's been important, and I really appreciate that one. Um, The second one is episode 58 with Joel Pontius. His description of an experience of hunting really was gripping because I'm not a hunter, and hunting for sport is something I wonder whether or not it's the most ethical thing to do. That's not what Joel is describing, but I think he gives us in that episode a really helpful description of what actually goes into taking the life of an animal. And we need to face those and think about the ethical implications of what we eat and how we procure our food. And that episode and just kind of sticks with me in that way. And then the third one is episode number 60, which is called Courage to Face the Truth with Timothy Beale, and looking at his book, which is in some ways a pessimistic look or a realistic look about perhaps where we're headed in terms of the state of the planet, and what if, kind of an imaginative work of what if things just continue to spiral downwards, how then shall we live? And while I remain hopeful and believe that a whole host of different futures are possible, 
I think it is important to at least work through worst case scenarios and think through, you know, what happens if things continue to get worse. Not a fun one to think about, but also he ends that episode talking about hope, even in the midst of really, really difficult times. How about you, Forrest? Well, you know, you kind of made the case for Timothy Beale for okay. me. Okay. Because that for me was the one that I think had the most profound impact. I will say in a way it was a freeing episode. Freeing because, and this is hard to explain, I'm not sure I have words for it, but the fact is, you know, when you hear about the problems of the world and the trajectory that we're on in terms of climate damage, it is really, really hard to be optimistic. It's hard to be hopeful. And I do feel like in some environmental circles, there's a pressure to be optimistic, right? It's like, you know, you have to be optimistic if you're actually going to get anything done and you've got to believe in the future if you're going to work for the future. And that's all great. But the fact is there's part of me that wants to be afraid and wants to be sad about where we're going, especially when I think about my daughter's generation and what they're going to be having to face in the future. And I can't wash that away with false hope. I think what was freeing about Timothy's book was this permission to not be naively hopeful. I mean, permission to be a realist, but not to fall into despair. Right. And that's the balance I have a hard time describing, but it's the balance I'm trying to seek, is honesty to face what's really going on honesty to understand that the future right now on the path that we're headed is a little bleak. But also I think he challenges us, as you put it, to not give up. You know, we have to work for the good of the planet, even if maybe we don't feel our work is making a big difference, or even if the problems seem overwhelming and unstoppable. Nonetheless, we have to act out of our values. We have to love the earth and we've got to do that actively. And so it's that line I'm now trying to balance right now. I just don't quite know how to do that, but I feel like he's given me a good paradigm to start asking those questions is how do I do both? Yeah, and I know, Forrest, if you're like me, that sometimes it can depend on the day where you fall on that spectrum from absolutely naive hope and optimism to you know the depths of despair and everywhere in between. Yeah. But I, I do appreciate that. I think we need to be able to face difficult truths in order to know what hope actually would look like or to know what action we need to take. Because if we don't have a firm sense of reality and the difficulties that lie ahead, we can't actually make good decisions. So we had a theme over the last season of social and environmental justice, which is a pretty broad category, but you know, we had some amazing episodes that helped us to unpack that question about how do social justice and environmental justice intersect. And I found that some of the people who came on the podcast were just really profound and challenging and yet generous and kind in not expressing the anger, the justified anger that some of them felt about injustice. But I'm wondering, how do you think that the environmental and social justice theme played out over the last season. 
I think it was really helpful to hear from people who are actively working on this in their communities. I'm thinking of the people at Yes Farm here in Seattle who are focused on helping Black people connect to the land in an urban environment. And I think what it helps me to see is that the growing recognition of these connections, the connection between social justice and environmental justice, the connections between creation care and people care, they have always been there, but people are making them known and making them public in really creative ways. So I think our guests who highlighted that theme, I really honor them for the work that they're doing and helping those of us who maybe don't have the eyes to see just as clearly begin to see that and ask, how do I incorporate that in my life? How do I incorporate that in my work? So while we may discover new themes for the podcast, I think that's one that's going to live on in my life and in the work of Circlewood. Forrest, you were the one who went out and found these great guests and put together that theme. How has it impacted you? I think it's been actually quite encouraging. And one of the dynamics of finding guests is getting referrals from other people. So as people hear about the podcast, even from guests, they will say, oh, I know someone you have to talk to, right? And that was happening in this realm of social and environmental justice as a theme. Like everyone had suggestions about who I should really talk to next. And so I got a lot of recommendations that I just couldn't follow up. So we're not going to drop the theme. We'll absolutely have episodes that focus on social and environmental justice in this season. But looking back, I think an example of one of those referrals, which turned out to be amazing, was Matthews Malata, yes. who is an African environmental journalist. And I thought that his point about the global South paying a much higher price than the North for problems that they didn't cause I thought that was actually really both an important truth to hear, but I love the way he presented it. Again, it wasn't condemning. It wasn't angry. It was just speaking truth, right? And being willing to confront all the listeners on the podcast who maybe are part of the problem, you know, who are in those nations which tend to be causing greater damage to the planet because of our lifestyle. Yeah. And, you know, the great thing about these podcast episodes is they just live. They just are there so people can go back to them. Or if you've just discovered the Earthkeepers podcast, you can look back and discover some of these episodes. Also, what's great is they introduce you to these people and then you can follow their work elsewhere. I know I follow Matthews Malata on Twitter and his work is ongoing as a journalist, sort of uncovering destructive things and highlighting positive things. And it just helps keep my life connected to his and keeps mine in perspective as well. You know, another person who has this capacity to talk about injustice, but in a way that's not condemning, that's maybe more invitational, is our friend Randy Woodley. Yes. Uh, we have him on the podcast a lot because we resonate so much with his way of challenging us to face truth. And, you know, the very latest episode was, I thought, very powerful. We talked about one of his new books, but it really struck me yet again that while he talks about injustice for Native peoples in the U.S., he does it in a way that doesn't 
exclude us as non-natives from being part of the solution and dreaming of different ways of being. He's really good at emphasizing the importance of diversity of perspective, that we need diversity of perspective in order to see a hopeful future. But he's one who has been inviting non-native people into maybe more of a way of living with indigenous sensibility and talking about how you know, we can also support works of justice for Native people, especially around, you know, issues of agriculture and land use and land ownership. Yeah, I love the way he talks about healing, presents a picture of shalom, and says that basically we all need to be together to create mutual healing. And I know that that must be a hard thing for him sometimes. But it's an open invitation to folks like you and me to engage on a really deep level. And, you know, we've referred to Randy kind of as our guide. And I think for those who didn't hear the last episode, go back and listen and you'll understand why. Well, now that we've looked back a little bit, our listeners may be curious as to where we're heading. Are there themes that are emerging for season four? Yeah, absolutely. I think everyone knows because of my comments in the podcast that I have a real concern for younger generations and how they deal with you know, current problems, but how they face the future as well. And that, I think, is going to be an important theme for season four. And when I say young people, <laughs> I have to be careful to define that. I think it's really anyone in their maybe early 40s even or below, but that would include millennials, Gen Z, and I just learned that the latest generation's name is Gen Alpha. I should have known this. Apparently, everyone else does. But I didn't generation... know that. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. We'll be ignorant together. Yeah. Uh, so Generation Alpha is a generation born between 2013 and 2025. So all of those people who are keen to join this generation still has two years to join. <laughs> so 2025 is the cutoff. Okay. But I think that we really need to be paying attention to how climate change, how issues of environmental care and earthkeeping are being received, are being engaged with by younger people for whom the stakes are higher because they will be facing much of the cost of environmental abuse. I think in particular about Dominic Frangelo. And, you know, he has the audacity to think that he can make a change through the political system, which he did. He yeah. got elected and made some major changes in his area. And I was just so impressed yeah. right, by the fact that he was absolutely committed to not giving up hope and helping people to understand that you have to act. And there are lots of ways to act. Let's do it together. So he was great about this practice of organizing communities of earth care. Yeah, that's a great story. Worth a listen for sure. Yeah. And Yewa Asabi, whom you mentioned already in the Yes Community Garden, I thought not only was her story great for helping us to understand race as a factor in environmental justice, but also understanding how farming and agriculture practices can be healing to people, yeah. right? And even collectively healing, because she talked about that, as did Ray, in terms of how people come together for healing around the growing of food, around the caring for land, around eating together. It was those younger perspectives that made me realize we need to hear from more of the younger folks. And so again, that's going to be a theme. 
I think this is such an important theme because in my work with Circlewood as a whole, I'm hearing from young people all the time. And it's a mix of people who are passionate about these issues, passionate about the future. They care a lot. They want to live differently. They want to be part of solutions. In addition, there's also an undercurrent of anxiety and despair. They have grown up in a world in trouble, and they've known about it since grade school, a lot of young people. And that is a hard world to face. So they are hungry for hope. They are wanting to be part of a different way of life. And those of us who are older, we need to tap into that energy, tap into that hope, and sometimes tap into the anxiety and despair that they feel. So we understand what's at stake here. Yeah. You know, what has surprised me from some of my conversations with younger generations is there is anger. You know, there's anger at, in a general way, previous generations for getting us into this mess. And, you know, there's part of me that wants to defend. It's like, wait, it wasn't me. But, <laughs> of course, you know, I think, I think it was me and it was you. And it was like uh, all of us, right, who have lived not very carefully on the planet, in part because we didn't know how to. Maybe we didn't understand the scope of the problem. But still, it's important that we kind of take some responsibility for that. Yeah. It makes our potential relationships with younger generations just more honest, I think. Yeah. Is to acknowledge that there is justified anger and frustration, especially even with current policy, you know, because older generations are having an inordinate amount of influence on policies, there is that level of responsibility there too, that they ought to be making decisions in favor of the radical changes that we need to make and how we live. Yeah. And I think while we may want to make a case for the past of maybe not being fully aware of what was happening, there's no way we can do that now. You have to work really hard to be willfully ignorant of the state of things. And I think we just need to say we're in this together now. Yeah, absolutely. I also think that young folks are differently motivated to make change. I think because the stakes are higher, it maybe is pushing the impulse for innovation and creative thinking a little harder for them, but it might be for older generations. And I'm thinking particularly about Zach Stein and Carbon Collective, right? I mean, he's really thinking in innovative terms about again, how to invest well, but he's creating the vehicles for investing. And I think that was really a, a wake-up call to me to understand that innovation often comes out of frustration, often comes out of desire to see change, which was definitely the case with Zach. Yeah. And these are people that are thinking in decades. They are starting work that's going to take a little bit of time to get established, but aim at making generational change going forward. And that's exciting and inspiring. Well, here we go for season four. All um, right. I'm really looking forward to what we're going to be able to accomplish in terms of adding on some new elements. But also, I think it's just exciting to be able to keep on with this good work, to keep on having people join us from around the world, to keep on understanding that we're not alone in this, which is, of course, one of the main purposes of our podcast. So I'm excited. Here we go for season four. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to say that we love to hear from listeners. So there are two easy ways to reach out to us. One is to send us an audio message 
through the podcast website, which can be found at www.circlewood.online. And also you can send us an email to earthkeepers at circlewood.online. Yeah, thanks for that. Well, Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. See you in the new season. Bye-bye. If you appreciate this podcast and want to help us expand its global reach, please show your support by subscribing. Just go to whatever platform you listen to podcasts on and hit the subscribe or follow button for the Earthkeepers podcast. I'm Forrest Tinsley, your podcast host. Our executive producer is James Amadon. Our producer is Dave Wolfers. Timothy Connor is our editor, and Forrest Reed is the creator of our original music. Our research assistant is Rochelle Nordman, and Jessalyn Gentry is our social media director. Thank you, friends, for listening, and please join us for our next conversation on the Earthkeepers podcast.